Let's stand up. We're going to go right in and read our passage this morning from the Gospel of John. It's finally here. We've been talking about this study for some time, and we are going to get into it right now. Up on the screen in just a minute. Is it up there? Here it comes. We're going to talk about who is Jesus for the few weeks, and we're going to read the passage of Scripture, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We'll wait just a moment before they get it up there. Going once. There we go. All right. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, and verse 14. I'll appreciate if you read it out loud with me. And let's begin now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Drop down to 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Father, We've been with great anticipation looking forward to this study. I've been looking forward to it pretty much my whole ministry. Now as we get into the book of John this morning, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and help us to understand your word. Take these few moments, Lord, that we have and just um, help us with our heart and our ears and our understanding to receive the implanted word of God that's able to save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. For $2, you can pick up this little copy of the Gospel of John, a journaling copy, and uh, it's got a page of the Gospel and a page to write on. Uh, It's at the kiosk over by the library, and we'd love you to have one because we are going to say things, both I and the other preachers are going to say things that are not going to be on the study guide, and you'll want to make a note. And then you may see something in there as you're reading it, and I encourage you to read John over and over as we study this book. Um, and then you're going to see things that you're going to want to make a note of. Two dollars, you never get a better deal, and you can pick that up if you would. Word of thanks to an army of people, the people who work in Awanas. Uh, Josh Knight was in the first service. He's the leader. Do we have any here today? If you work in Awanas in any capacity, just stand to your feet right now. You work in the Awana program. Stand, 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 please, please. Let's give these folks a hand. What a tremendous job. They have gone another year. God bless you. You can be seated. Another year of ministry is coming to an end. We thank you for that so very, very much. I'm going to get right into it this morning. We've had a wonderful service. Isn't it wonderful to hear the testimonies of redeemed people? Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. That was just so wonderful. Now, John is the last living apostle to write. He lived another, oh, up to five decades after Jesus rose and went back to heaven. He is the only one of any gospel writer or any book in the Bible that tells us clearly what his purpose for writing is. Now, there's going to be a quiz. I'm going to ask you over and over, why did John write the gospel of John? What is the purpose of the gospel of John? I'm going to ask you over and over, and it's going to be something I want you to memorize, and it's John chapter 20, verse 30, and verse 31. I'll read it. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life 
in his name. These are written. There are many other, many other events, many other miracles, but these are recorded so that we may believe. We don't have blind faith. It's not like taking a big leap off a cliff and trusting that there's something to land on. No, no, no. Our faith is rock solid because of the evidences given by God's Word and all through uh, the modern history as they keep uncovering the truth of God's Word as is supported through geology and many other things and paleontology, and it's just so very, very important. Some call the book of John the Holy of Holies of the 66 books of the Bible. The book of John, this book we're studying, calls upon us to behold our God like no other book in the Bible. Today, as we start looking for a few weeks at this whole idea of who is Jesus, we are going to begin with this little thought. I want to talk about the beginning, the beginning. So if you'll write a few things down, I'll move through this quickly this morning. I'd like you to see some things, and most of it's in verse number one, although we'll refer to the rest of it. But in verse number one, I want us to first of all behold his incomparable person. Now, Jesus is the one and only. There's no one like him. He, there's no replica. There's not another model. He is the one and only Son of God, and there's no one like him. He's incomparable. There's three statements that are often used, and they all come from this very verse of Scripture. They all come from this very verse of Scripture about his nature. And the first one is this, Jesus is eternally God, eternally God. That's huge. It says in the very first part of verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. There is no room for atheism in this verse. God doesn't defend His existence. He doesn't seek to prove it. It's a given. John does not take us in his gospel to Bethlehem or to a manger or to events surrounding his earthly arrival. He doesn't do that. He takes us to the beginning of everything. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. The words that we read in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, are a replica of what was said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, God, and it goes on to say what He created. Here it says, in the beginning was the Word, and we are talking about the beginning. Now, you say, Pastor Phil, the word beginning, what's the significance? Well, the phrase does not imply that the Word had a beginning. Jesus is preexistent. It means that the Word has always existed. The Word was. You want to circle that in your Bible. The Word was is in the imperfect tense, and it means an action of the past that continues into the present. It could read this way. In the beginning was the Word, is the Word, and always will be the Word. It doesn't indicate that, it does not indicate a start, but a state of being. And we're talking about the fact that there was never a time when the Word wasn't. You say, Pastor Phil, you keep talking about Jesus and everything, but it keeps saying the Word, the Word, the Word. Well, I want you to look at verse number two because it says, He was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing that was made that was made, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He, Him, Him, Him. You know, that word He there has an antecedent. And the antecedent to that word is the word word. And so the word is a he, and the he is Jesus. It's so important for us to understand. Look at verse number 14. It says, and the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, look at the, look at the noun, or the, the pronoun, his, his uh, glory and as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so I want you to know this morning that the word is a he. I know there's all kinds of uh, identity problems in the world today, but I just want you to know that the word was a he, and his name is Jesus, amen? It's so very important for us to understand this. And follow with me now. This is on the surface. It's, it's right on the, there's diamonds on the surface of the book of John, but then there's diamonds under the, under the surface that we need to dig out, and I want you to listen as we do that together as we go through this book. There was never a time when the word wasn't. The word is eternal. He's always been. He always will be. Before there was anything else, there was the Word. Jesus had his birth, human birth in Bethlehem, but not his beginning. Before there was anything else, there was Jesus. Before there were stars, before there was the moon, the planets, before there was a galaxy, before there was cosmic dust, before there was an earth, before there was a you, there was a me. Before there was anything, there was Jesus. Now, this is very important. Jesus was before all things. Colossians 1.16 tells us that. We're going to see it in just a few minutes. Now, a couple of months before Christmas, the wife of a mail carrier was killed in a car accident, and her husband was overwhelmed with the grief and was trying to work through his sorrow. And he was a postman, and so he stayed at the post office sorting through the mountains of mail that always came through around Christmas time. His job that day was to go through the mail that had been lost to find out where it should be rerouted. He came across a letter that was addressed to Santa Claus, and he noticed that the address at the, on the letter was his own address. So he opened the letter. Looking down at the bottom of the page, he saw that it was his only daughter's signature. So he read the letter. Dear Santa, my mommy died two months ago. And since then, my daddy has been crying himself to sleep every night. He says only eternity will heal him. Would you please send a little bit of eternity to my daddy? Well, folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, God hasn't sent just a little bit of eternity to us. He sent the one that was before everything. He sent eternity himself. He sent Jesus to us, and it's not just for this man. He sent Jesus to the entire world, eternity. Jesus is eternal. Oh, the Bible says it this way in 1 John 4, 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So Jesus is eternally God. Say that with me. Jesus is eternally God. Now, when we do this little activity, when I ask you to say something with me, I'm drilling something home in your head. So please participate. Let's go to the second one. Jesus not only is eternally God, but he is equally God. So he is co-eternal and he is co-equal. He is equally God. Look at the phrase, and the word was made, the word was with God. Now, this is more than just, there is more than just one person in the Godhead. Jesus is one of those persons. The word here translated, now watch this. Now, the word, the, that is the, 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 the little pieces that we use to communicate ideas, the word translated word in parentheses there, the word in this verse is the Greek word logos, and it refers to this. It refers to speech, Reasoning, explanation, a word about or toward something. Well, that's who Jesus is. He is called the Word because He is a vocal and visible expression of an invisible 
thought, idea, person. Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. Hebrews chapter one says that. He says he is the icon of God. He is the visible image. You want to see God? You must see Jesus because he's the icon. He's the visible image of Jesus. So let me say it this way. Jesus is everything God has ever said or will say. He is everything God is about in human form. Look down at verse number 18, if you would, please. Chapter one, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now, I'm going to read it again in a very accurate version. The New American Standard Version says it this way. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has explained him. Did you catch that? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, the only born God, the only God begotten who came into the world. So who is Jesus? He is God come into the world. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He, the Son, has explained the Father. That little word explained or declared, it may be in your version, is exahelmai. Exahelmai, and it means to describe and explain. It means to make known or reveal. We get the word exegesis from this. You say, what is exegesis, Pastor Phil? Well, Pastor Phil sits in his office, and I study the words and the phrases and the sentences, and I look at them every which way but loose, and I just study them until my brains fall out half the time, and I want to make sure I understand what I'm reading and what I'm studying, and I do the exegesis. I uncover and everything, and then I come in and I give you the exposition. You do not want the exegesis. If you say, well, Aren't you giving us exegesis? It takes a long time to give it. If I gave you the exegesis, then we'd be preparing supper before I'm done. That's what I'm telling you. The exegesis. No, no, no. But let me tell you something. Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. See, what do you mean? The explanation, the declaration, the full understanding, the total package. Jesus, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Uh, 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 the Bible says in First Timothy chapter, or in Colossians chapter two, verse nine, everything about God is seen in the person of Jesus. He is the explanation of the Father. So He's eternally God. He's equally God. This is so very important. The God we serve is a triune God. There is one God who exists in a triunity. This is what drove the Jews crazy. They couldn't handle it. They were just so wrapped up with the Shema. The Shema said, uh, behold, the Lord our God is one. And so they, just, they thought they were talking about three gods. No, we're talking about God who is expressed in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other person we're going to learn about in John 14 to 17. Now, this is new math for us. We got to understand this. This is new math. They talk about new math today. Well, this really is new math. This is math where one plus one plus one equals one. The Trinity. You say, explain that. I cannot. Somebody has said, you try to explain it, you'll go crazy. You deny it and you'll go to hell. Is it, well, why in the world would you say such a thing like that? Well, because the Bible says in 1 John very clearly. John talking about this again, he says, anybody that denies the Father doesn't have the Son. Anybody that denies the Son doesn't have the Father. You can't deny any of them and not have all of them. And you can't have anybody unless you receive them all. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
There's a third thought. He is eternally God. He is equally God. And Jesus is essentially God. He's co-essential or co-substantial. He's of the same thing, of the same substance, the same existence. The statement that you read in the Word was God. Now, I want you to look at your Bible. Everybody got your Bible open. I hope you got the little Bible that I'm giving you away, this journaling Bible here. I hope you're just writing all over it. I want you to look at verse 1. We haven't even left verse 1 yet. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And I want you to read those last, the last part of that verse. And the what? And the Word was. Let me read it again with me. Look at, and the Word was. This is the clearest statement in the entire Bible claiming the deity or that Jesus himself is equally and eternally God. Jesus, here in this passage, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, folks, you do not have Christianity at all if Jesus is anything less than God. He is co-eternal. He is co-equal. He is co-essential, and He is God. This word uh, that we have here talks about it. In verse 18, we read it a moment ago, that it was God who was begotten. Some people try to say that Jesus never claimed to be divine. Well, folks, that's just simply not true. Well, He never said, I hear people say, well, you know, the truth is He never really claimed to be God. Yes, He did. Let me read it to you. There's many verses. There's many verses where others, the Jews, understood Him to be claiming to be God because they were going to stone Him for it. Time and again. But let's look here. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I'm Jehovah. That's who I am. Eleven twenty-five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Fourteen nine. have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. John 17, 5. This is fantastic. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I shared with you before the world was, the glory that I shared with you. I'm coming back, Father. When God sent his Son into the world, in John 3, 16, he sent one who was eternally, equally, and essentially God. In other words, when the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, that's Luke 2, 11, they were announcing the birth of God in human flesh. God came to us. Amen. Do you understand this? This is not minimal Christianity. This is irreducible Christianity. This is Christianity at its root. The Christian faith is based on the fact that God came to earth in human flesh and his name is Jesus. It's so important. Quickly, the second thought is, is behold his infinite power. Look at verse number, look at verse number three. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. What does that mean? Well, let's take that word nothing and divide it in two. Not nothing was made. How about no thing was made without him? He is the maker. So write it down under, number, under letter A there. He is the maker of creation. Jesus is the agent of creation. He made everything. This is extremely significant. He originated every detail of the creation. Colossians 1.16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created 
uh, that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, Hebrews 1, 2, through whom Jesus also he made the worlds. If you want other verses, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Romans eleven thirty six, and back in John, John 1, 10, all of them talk about the creator factor, Jesus made everything. What does this verse say? Two phrases. All things were made through him. All things were made through him. No thing was made without him. Things visible. Well, we understand that, right? I mean, I see you, you see me. You see the floor, you see the ceiling. You see everything. All things were made through him. Now, whether you look at something with your naked eye or you look through a telescope or you look through a microscope, Here's what that statement is saying. Telescope, microscope, or with your naked eye, everything you see, everything you experience, he made it. He made everything. So go out at night on a starry night without the moon, look up, see all those stars. He made every one of them, put them in their place, and named them. He made it all. Things visible. Then things that are invisible, spiritual powers, angels, uh, the cherubim, seraphim, and all those things, spiritual powers. He even made Lucifer, and he was the light of heaven. He was the songster of heaven before he fell. This is who Lucifer was. God made him, and he fell. He made things invisible, spiritual powers and angels, natural powers. He made natural powers that you can't see, like gravity. Have you ever seen gravity? No. Is it real? Jump off the roof, find out. He made centrifugal force. I can't see it. What is centrifugal force? Well, when you were a kid and you were on the playground, you got on that little whirly gig thing that goes around and around and you were playing on it and some bully come along and starts spinning it real fast and you were hanging on for dear life. I did it one time and my legs were straight out and my hands were like this. Oh, I was so mistreated. But anyway, <laughs> that's centrifugal force. Do you believe it? Of course it's real. It's a force. He made it. It's a power. He made it. He made everything. He made all power. He made principalities, how things work, magnetic pulls, seasons, tides. He made it. All things were made through him. Then it says it again, but a little bit different. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Well, what is he saying there? Well, no thing exists that Jesus didn't create. Now, this says something very important. Many people believe even so-called Christians, well, there was just all this stuff out there. There was just material. There was God and material. And God took the material and he made something. Wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach there was stuff and there was God. And from the stuff, God did things. No. The Bible teaches something else. The Bible teaches in the beginning, God created. Jesus is the agent of creation, and he spoke everything into existence. Here's a word to write on the column over there in your little Bible that you're writing in. It's ex nihilo, and it means, it's spelled E-X and then N-I-H-I-L-O, and it means out of nothing or from nothing. He made everything. Well, how did he do that? Well, Genesis tells us how he did it. He said, let there be light, and there was what? Let there be land, and there was land. Let the, the firmament and all, he just went on, and he said it. But that's why, that's why he's called the Word. So important. Jesus is separate from his creation. He is not a part of his creation. He made it, but he's not a part of it. 
this separates Christianity. You know, we like to hear people say all the time, well, you know, all the religions of the world teach basically the same thing. Wrong. They do not. And not all religions can lead to the same place because not all religions are right. Now, listen to this. He is separate from his creation. This separates Christianity from Hinduism, Buddhism, and most all Eastern religions that are rooted in two things, pantheism and panentheism. You say, aren't they the same thing? No. Pantheism and panentheism. What is pantheism? Well, pantheism says everything is God. You're God. The seats you're sitting on God, ants are God, bugs are God, the stars are God, everything. But all things that are out there, anything that's visible, oh, it's just all God, so worship it. Well, you can see how we can get to the place we are where everybody thinks the earth is Mother Earth and we got to take, we just got to worship it and everything because, I mean, we all just came up out of the earth and we're all a product of, you know, biological evolution over all these years. And so the truth is we owe our being to the, you know, the, the stuff, the slime that's in the bottom of the pools and rivers and so on. No, no. Jesus is separate from his creation. He created it. He's transcendent. He's separate from it, outside of it. He's outside of all that time. He, he, he was outside of time until he came to earth and was born in Bethlehem. Oh, he created everything. So pantheism says everything is God. Worship it. Panentheism is something different. It says God is greater, but he penetrates, manifests himself, and inhabits his creation. So it ends up being the same thing. You still better worship everything because it might hold God. Uh, That is not what the Bible teaches. He is the maker of everything. There was nothing, and God made everything. This is absolutely huge. Now, I just have to say something this morning. That means that he made you. He made me. This is going to be very important even as we move on this morning. He made you. And he made me. And God has no pointless creation. He is not just the maker of creation. He's the master of creation. He's the master. Not only did he make the universe, but he's the power that holds it all together. First, or excuse me, Colossians 1.16, the last part, and 17. It says he's before all things. He was here before it. And in him all things consist. That's that little word consist. And here's what it means. One guy wrote it this way. He says that Jesus is the glue of the galaxies. Everything consists. Everything holds together by him. Now, our great planet doesn't travel in a true circle. We sometimes talk about it. It goes in a circle. It travels in three directions all at the same time. It revolves on its axis, travels around the sun, and its path is deflected by other planets. Still, it does not lose more than one one hundredth of a second every 100 years And so we can only say then that Jesus is in control because by him all things consist. I mean, the the great gyroscope of the galaxies that is always moving is very predictable and according to time and the earth on its axis and its revolutions, everything is predictable. And what I'd like to know is what kind of instrument are they using to discover that it's one one hundredth of a second off? Because first of all, how would they be around a hundred years and were they standing there with some kind of instrument to measure it when it was a hundred and then a hundred years later, they're still standing there? Give me a break. I say that what God made is perfect and their instruments are messed up. That's what I say. But in any event, uh, Jesus made it and he maintains it. Now look at the building blocks of the universe, uh, which the first one that we talk about is an atom. 
Uh, it's an entity that's so small that each atom is less than 150 millionth of an inch in diameter. You say, how big is that? Well, it's real small. <laughs> there are 1.67 sextrillion. You say, how many zeros is that? A lot. 1.67 sextrillion sextrillion water molecules in a drop of water. You say, wow, that's a whole lot. What would that be like? Well, how many of you think a grain of sand is a little bitty thing? Grain of sand, it's little bitty, it's small. Now, it's little bitty unless you're on the beach and you've dug clams and you're eating clams and you cooked them and there's still sand in their mouth, then it's not, it's a problem. But they're small. How many of you agree sand is small? Okay, put your hands down. If you could take the molecules in a drop of water, which have three atoms each, and you could convert those molecules in a drop of water to grains of sand, there'd be enough sand to build a concrete highway half a mile wide, one foot thick from New York to San Francisco. And Jesus made it and maintains it. And if you take one of those atoms and split it, you know what happens. Amazing. When you see the order and the symmetry and the harmony and the beauty of everything that is, only a fool would fail to conclude that God did it and that he is in control. Now, the Bible says something about that two times in the book of Psalms. It says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no It may look like the world is spinning out of control, but it isn't. It's all in the hands of he who made it, and things are working toward the purpose for which he designed them. You see, Jesus is also the object of creation. Colossians 1.16b, all things were created through him. And look at these last three words, and for him. So, all things were created by him. Everything holds together because of him, and everything was created for him. So, just let me look at you, and you look at me this morning, and let me just make a very clear statement. You were made for God. You weren't made for your next cruise. You were not made for your entertainment schedule. You were not made to become famous. You were not made in order to buy this or build that or to do... No, no, no. You were made to have fellowship with the God who created you. God created man for fellowship with him. He created man to pour out his grace on him and to walk with him like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden and to share his glory. God made you and me to share his glory. What happened? We sinned. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God made you for himself. Jesus made you for himself. Not for you, not for your wish. I just want to be happy in life. I, that's what my real goal is, just to be happy. And I just happy. I just want to be happy, happy, happy. Oh, you're not ever going to be happy until you're happy in him who made you. You were made for him, and he was willing to come and give his life to reclaim you. Oh, it makes redemption so beautiful. He made you the first, in the first place, and he came and redeemed you in the second place. Behold his indisputable purpose. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The question begs to be asked, why? Why did the creator desire to become a part of his creation? Why did the creator put on human flesh and walk among us? Why did he come into this world to live and die? It's so clearly stated in the verse. It says in verse number four, 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You can translate that, could not extinguish it, or could not understand it, and it's both. We can't understand everything God's doing, and we sure can't do without it, and we sure can't put out the light that he brings. It's so beautiful. Why did he come? Well, he came to bring life to deadness. He came to bring life to deadness. When Jesus came into the world, he'd entered a world filled with dead men. He said, what are you talking about? He came into a world filled with dead men, spiritually dead. We always talk about reformation, talk about turning over a new leaf, changing our life. Listen, you can turn over a new leaf. You can make New Year's resolutions. You can make every promise under the sun. You can do anything you want to, but you are never going to be able to make a new person out of you. You cannot do that. That's only the work of God. Why? Because you're dead. You haven't just made a mistake or two in life, taken a wrong turn, gone the wrong direction, or had a few uh uh-ohs in life. No, no, no. That's not what we've done. We've sinned, and sin has killed us, and we're separated from God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we studied it, that we are dead in trespasses and sin. We've gone too far. We've trespassed. We've sinned. We've been very wicked, and the wages of sin is what? Death. We're spiritually dead to God. We're not alive. We got no hope. We got no help. We've got, listen, we're alienated from God. We're separated from God. We got no hope in the world. We are not part of the commonwealth. We have nothing. We own nothing with God. He owes us nothing. We're dead. Why did Jesus come? (laughs) To bring life to deadness. That's why he came. He came to revitalize. He came to give life. He came to let us be born again. He came to bring life so that dead men could live. You know what John 5, 24 is going to say? It says, everybody that's believed in him who sent him is going to pass from death to life. Coming alive spiritually. Now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You trusted Jesus as your Savior, and there was a new voice, a new spirit, a new direction, a new life, and a new ability because Jesus came in your life. Well, he brought you to life. Jesus is the strength of our earthly life. Jesus is the secret of an effective life, a self fit to live with, a faith fit to live by, and a purpose fit to live for. That's what Jesus does. He gives us abundant life. Jesus is the source of eternal life. And he does something else. He came to bring light into darkness. Now, a person who does not know Jesus is more than just spiritually dead. They are spiritually in the dark. They are just spiritually dead, and they're spiritually in the dark. They can't see the light. They won't come into the light. I can't help but mention this little point right here. How many of you grew up on a, uh, you grew up at least close enough to a farm that you know about chickens? How many of you have been around chickens? Okay. I lived next to a guy that raised chickens, and every once in a while he'd have me come over and help pluck feathers after he was killing his chickens. And so he went over to the house there, and he had this big wooden block, and he had a hatchet. And he'd hold the chickens by their feet. They had a big boiling pot, you know, hold the chicken by their feet. And he'd take that hatchet, stand back now. And he'd hit that, boom, he'd hit that chicken. What do you think that chicken did when he cut the head off? 
That chicken, I mean, he would jump and fly and run, and the head, the little beak, the head lay over there and go around and around, and a little bit beak going, I'm not trying to gross you out, but I mean, just go around and around, and I mean, that chicken is just going all over the place. Oh, my goodness, do you know what people in sin are? They are dead like a chicken with their head cut off. They just don't know it. Until you come to faith in Jesus, you are spiritually dead. You're in the darkness. You don't have the light. You don't have life until you come to Jesus. He came to bring the light into darkness. And the person who does not know Jesus is more than spiritually dead. They're darkened. Jesus came to save all of that. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus came to deliver us from the darkness and bring him into light, to open our eyes and to bring us from darkness to life, to deliver us from the power of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of his son. Jesus one day, back in the book of Genesis, stood and looked into the darkness of eternity and he said, let there be light, and there was light On a certain day in my life, he stood in the cold darkness of my heart, and he brought light to my soul, and God commanded his light to shine out of darkness in my heart, and he gave the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and I called on Jesus because he lit me up so that I could. Bill lost his wallet. He was a drunk. And he was always losing something. He was walking out of the tavern, and his friend Tom was walking by, and he saw Bill <clears throat> over under the street lights wandering around. He was on his hands and knees, and he was scraping through the grass and looking, and Tom says, Bill, what in the world? He said, well, I lost my wallet. I'm trying to find it. Oh, well, I'll help you. They got down into both of them, looked and looked and looked, and they couldn't find it. And then Tom finally says, Bill, are you sure you lost your wallet over here? Oh, no, I lost it over there in the dark over there as I was coming over here, but I knew I wouldn't be able to see it over there, so I'm looking over here. <laughs> you know, people are looking for happiness and joy, and they're looking for answers everywhere but in the light. People are looking, they're looking for the meaning of life, happiness in life, purpose in life, looking for this world to feel that it'll never happen because only Jesus can give you abundant life. Because he gives you the light of the truth of the gospel. In the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus made us. Jesus loved us and he still loves us. So he came to us and it was glorious. Have you stepped into the light? Have you received eternal life? Do you believe in him? I've skipped some. I've got more I could have said. But let me just say this. I had an opportunity to go down to Branson to go to the Sight and Sound Theater, and I saw for the second time the demonstration of the depiction of the life of Christ. Took my breath away. I've I've been preaching this gospel for 43 years plus. But oh, to just see, see there, to watch those depictions... And there's something that just came to me that I was there, and I said, you know, I've got to just, i got to say this at the end of the sermon. These people need to hear this. And <laughs> He's called the Word, but I want to tell you that the Word has a name, and His name is Jesus. He, his, he is called our hope, but hope has a name, and His name is Jesus. And life, life has a name, and His name is Jesus. Light I am the light, he said. Light has a name, and his name is Jesus. And truth, 
Truth has a name and his name is Jesus and love has a name and his name is Jesus. God sent an expression of everything we need. He is the great I am and whatever it is that you're in need of in your life, I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. He's hope, he's love, he's truth, he's life, he's light. He's everything. (laughs) You just need to receive him as your Savior. Bow your head and close your eyes. And Brother Matt, you better come on. You say, Pastor Phil, that's what I want to do. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe he is God came in the flesh. He died for me. There's a card in front of you that looks just like this. And I'm going to pray with you. And when I'm done, I want you to do something with that card. You say, Pastor, I'm here. I want to be saved. I hear you. All right. Do this. Say this. God, I know that. You're real because you're talking to me. I know that I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm separate from you. And I believe that I'm condemned. But I also believe that you sent your son and he came and he was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect life and he came to take my sin. And he did. He died. I believe it. He died on the cross and he was buried. And I believe that he rose again. Today, this day, this 15th day of May of 2022, right here, right now in this place, I've heard the message of the gospel. I believe it. And today, I'm asking you, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin. I trust you totally and completely with all of my yesterdays, my today, and every tomorrow. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.